Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Latest Shiny Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Spector. And with me, as usual, is uh, Mr. Rob Hirschfeld. Good morning, Rob. Hello, Stephen. Good morning. And this is one of our interstitial. I think that's the way to say it, Rob. I'm working on my my English. One of our shorter, just two of us discussing something uh, podcasts. Exactly. Between between the big rocks. We're, uh... Be- and since we're these things usually go out pretty quickly, so uh, I am on the eastern edge of the northwest coast snowpocalypse. And while I've gotten a couple inches, I am not under under massive snow like Seattle and Portland. So did Austin, did you feel anything or is it lovely and nice? We, we did. We did. No, it's not lovely and nice here uh, at, for weather. It's always lovely and nice in Austin. But <laughs> we, we did, we did get, we did get some cold and people got their coats out. And we had hail and grapple or some frozen snow type of thing. Got everybody got their coats and dictionaries. That's funny. I saw some people with this, the hail pushing uh, some posts out, and uh, so I can continually monitor Austin. So today's post, Rob, you sent out a uh, tweet uh, last week, and it's quite interesting. It's with an – I'm not going to say it because you, you went out and read it to see how to properly say the company. Patreon. Patreon. So Patreon um, went out and said that they're not going to be able to keep running their business at the current model. Um, do you want to just give a quick overview of what Patreon does, and then we'll tie this back to open source? Certainly. Um, so they have a really interesting model trying to solve uh, the same problem that there's another company called Tidelift, which has been getting some uh, press also, which is trying to take people who build works, right? Uh, in a lot of cases, artistic works, but also you know audio, video content, blogs, things that you read, uh, software that you write or consume. And they're trying to create a uh, patronage model, thus the name Patreon, uh, where people pay into the system. And then as they consume content or vote for content, uh, those creators are rewarded. Uh, Tidelift is very similar, but very focused on open source software um, as a way to sort of collect collect funds and undo the tragedy of the commons problem that, that we have where people consume uh you know, this amazing value that's being created digitally without restrictions, um, but without compensation in a lot of cases for the creators. So it says here, just the highlights, so since obviously it's a little difficult for people to get the CNBC article, it says that um, they have over 100,000 creators on the site, more than 3 million people support them, and they've paid out since 2013 a billion dollars, which is not a small amount of money. And it says the model is, when you give them money, 90% of the funds go directly to the content creators. Uh, Patreon takes 5%, and then the remaining 5% covers their transaction fees. And I guess basically what they're saying is, is they can't sustain this. It won't work. They're, it's just, is it Patreon that won't work? That's right. They can't afford to run the service. Right. And so there's there's a thing that you omitted in this, which there's a uh, externality in that they took VC money to start this business. So somewhere uh, they dropped in cash uh, and they've been financing building their platform using venture capital um, to sort of build critical mass on the expectation that as they built enough uh, critical mass of creators and consumers and people paying into the system, that that would translate into a sustainable model at the, at a five, at 10% margin, right? So the idea right. here is that it's... 90% goes back to the creators and then 10% they figure out how to 
run a profitable business with. Right. And it doesn't mention the VC in the article, but but the idea here, then what you're saying is 10% of that total is not enough money to run something that scales up to a billion outpay. They, they just, it's too expensive to run the business. Right. And so, so from that perspective, either they have to uh, take more money from the, the ratios that they've set up, which might be perfectly reasonable. They might've picked the wrong ratios and an 80-20 split might be the right ratio. Or they need to figure out other ways to monetize the content by providing you know, some other avenues, things that people can buy, so a shop or you know, some, something, you know, ad revenue, something that, that provides some additional income around the, the, these creators. And which it's just it's a change it's a change in the model, but it's it's definitely um, catches my eye in our in our open source discussions where people are creating digital value, and then we're we're struggling to find ways to help them monetize it without providing gates, and that that's a big thing, right? The, the goal here was not to create a lot of gates um, on access to content. Uh, in a lot of cases, because people don't want to pay very much for this content, right? The idea would be that you could pay pennies and nickels to the creators and over a large group, rather than having to take, um, you know, like I subscribe to online newspapers and I pay 15 to $20 a month for that. Right. And so what's interesting to me is that you would think the VCs would have looked at them and they said, here's how much we think this costs, here how much it is and, and saw profit. And, uh, and obviously they misunder, they misread that, I guess. I, I don't know that they misread it. I think that this is a place where VCs are doing the right thing and investing in new business models to see if you can create uh, value, which which actually is the real segue into the next article in the tweet. So the tweet was a juxtaposition of the this uh, Patreon ch- you know, challenge of saying, look, we have to reevaluate our, our commercialization model. And then O'Reilly's uh, <laughs> rather long uh, diatribe to O'Reilly's diatribe on blitz scaling. Uh, the title of that article is "The Fundamental Problem with Silicon Valley's Favorite Growth Strategy." And you want to explain February, that went out February fifth, right? So, back, back to back with these these two articles. Yeah, and this one's worth a read, but it's a little bit longer. Um, where uh, Tim goes through this sort of you know, tr- what's become a traditional land grab approach to VC funding, where you dump money into a company and then they, they try to gain as much of market share as they possibly can. And so that comes from a variety of sources. You know, Uber is a classic, classic model. In this case, it's not the only ride sharing company, but the idea that you have to drop in and, and grab all the, the market share you can. Um, in Austin, we were dealing with a scooter blight. Um, and I know there are people who love these scooters. But the, the idea is that these companies are dumping as many scooters to get critical mass and corner the market. And one of them was just um, caught dumping more scooters than they had permits for, uh, trying, to, trying to saturate the market. And so it's, that's an example of blitz scaling where you're saying, look, I, I have to get in front of usage. And so I'm going to subsidize you know, driver fees. I'm going to make things cost less than they should. I'm going to make you know, that basically you're, you're, you're subsidizing the cost of growing and expanding your business using, you know, venture, in a lot of cases, venture money, but it could also be, um, you know, loans or you're usually not going to get loans for that type of thing. 
Yep. So I find this interesting because of the dot-com crash and what, 99, 2000, somewhere around then. It all crashed because venture capitalists gave these companies too much money. They went out and tried to get as much web hits, market share, I guess you could say, as possible with almost no business plan behind them. And is this the same? Tim actually goes further. It, he, he, he doesn't, he, do, he draws those comparisons a little bit, but he actually comes back into ethics and um, sustainability as big parts of, of what's going on. Um, the dot-com crash, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of factors involved in the dot-com crash, including the end of the right. Y2K um, money uh, hemorrhage. <laughs> but um, yeah, we, we, we don't know what some of these business models are and they can make them look very profitable. Um, and I think this is why the, the Patreon example is really good. You can, you can use investor money to make a business look very profitable or at least growing with the assumption that you're going to make up the cash at the end of time, right? Somebody was the, the, the famous quote from the, the dot-com bubble is uh, I'm going to give away my product for free or at a loss and make it up in, in uh, volume. Uh, Tim has a great story where they were talking about the AOL Yahoo days and they were saying we could literally be throwing money off the roof of our building and we couldn't lose it faster than we're losing it by subsidizing services for, for users. Um, and that does, it creates a very um, disruptive way to approach the market, but one that doesn't reflect the actual costs. And does this, because I've been reading lately, and this is a little connected, I think, where I read a journalism uh, article. Oh, God, I forgot the guy's name who does all the journalism stuff in tech. And he had a post on Medium I read this week. I'm talking about basically the collapse of advertising online and everything and that you know i guess so many websites or companies they use advertising as a way to get extra money and he's saying that that's just not going to work anymore and that you have and so is there no business model no one's got it no i i, I think we're 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 struggling in that some of the places where there are legitimate business models they're getting blitz scaled out of business by companies that are are you know, disrupting them. I'm, I'm using my air quotes for that um, in ways that aren't actually creating sustainable businesses either. And then ultimately, so you, you look at the disruption of media and we're having, you know, a lot of, there were a lot of layoffs of reporters, um, you know, uh, in early, early in the year. And, you know, that investigative journalism, if it's not funded, you know, is, is a public service that, that we all consume and, and we're not, we're like disrupting it in a, in a way that we're not thinking about how we actually sustain those businesses. Um, same thing is true with, ta you know, taxi companies. And a lot of people don't like taxis, but, you know, if, if Uber is going to uh, take away that, you know, the, the profit margins for that by subsidizing it with, with their blitz scale, then at some point they're, they're, that's going to come back to the drivers who do need to make a living wage or replace their cars and things like that. And so, those have to be factored into this. And then when the prices go back up, we've destroyed, you know, an infrastructure like a newspaper, bringing it back is very, very hard. Um, the, the people who did those jobs are, are gone. They've moved on to other places. They've, they've taken other things or the, or there was no incentive for people to replace the skills, right? Earn good wages to replace the skills. Um, and we're seeing that in a lot of industries all over the place. So let's bring it back to open source. Yeah. And, you know, right now I think, uh, we've talked about this a bit, and I know Iraq and you know this is a big issue. And I've noticed the um, as companies and open source start to I don't want to use the word gate, 
but what's the licensing model that gets everyone so so upset? Um, open uh, core. You, open core. And the minute you say open core, I mean, it explodes. And it's like, how dare you do this to me? Well, you know, you're you're consuming open source, which is fantastic. But if you're not contributing or anything like that, then then really... If you don't pay or you don't contribute through time, whatever it is, I mean, there has to be some give and take. It just can't be, I consume all this for free and, and walk away. Uh, and that's one of the things for me that, that we really have to think through is that if you're using open source software and you're not paying any money for it, then you are not investing in sustaining software that your business depends on. Um, it, it really is that simple. And just because you don't have to pay for it, uh, translates, you know, into people not paying for it. Um, and I think that we as a society have to figure out how to, you know, how, how creators um, and people providing services are paid. It can't be through VCs in the background, right? The VCs, from my ex my experience with the open source VCs, they're, they're much more, with one or two notable exceptions, just Jack's new effort um, is the, the one that comes to mind. Um, but for the most part, they're saying I, we don't know how you create a sustainable business model with this, and so they're 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 not as excited to fund a company that's relying on open source, uh, and and that, that it becomes a serious issue. Yeah. So, so I'm interested because I think a lot of you enterprises run a lot more open source than they realize, right? I remember the famous quote where you would say to a CIO maybe ten years ago or so, the CIO, you know, do you run open source software? And the CIO would go, No, we have no open source software. And then they'd show mm -hmm. him a a, a a report showing that half his company was open source, and he would still say there was no open source. But um, what what I wonder is is you know when big enterprises run those kind of audits, at that time. Those companies, you would think, would say, we need to get money here because this is, if it's a critical and it's running on our systems, we can't let this just float. And is there an enterprise, are they responsible where they could pick up that side and say, hold on, you know, maybe, maybe open source itself, just throwing out a terrible idea, maybe open source, the one of these foundations, should offer an audit service for large enterprise companies to find out with once they run it, see what open source is there, and then offer solutions for them to properly fund or ways to support the, what they find inside their company. Boy, uh, this, is, this is where, and there's another article that we should do another interstitial on and almost do a part two for this because Lucanius from uh, Puppet Labs did a, a amazing blog, long post about his losing battle with enterprise sales. So I, I, I want to get back to that because fundamentally there's a team dynamic problem where if you if you're using software and you don't have to ask for permission to use it, which means you don't have to get funding for it, then it keeps you from having to deal with organizational pieces. And so so I, I actually want to do a whole nother interstitial on that. Um, yeah. Because I think culturally that's super interesting. The, I, the you know the the businesses that are relying on open source do need to think through what their funding model is for this stuff. If they're bringing software in, then they need to be able to say there is a sustaining model for this, which means they, there has to be a company sustaining it. The the thing that I found frustrating from open source perspective is you know when we saw this a lot in OpenStack was. There were a whole bunch of people who wanted to write the software. There weren't as many people who wanted to sustain the software or work on utility. And, and then when you got to the utility of running it in production, the differences in different production deployments didn't translate well into how the community interacted and worked things out. So one per, you know, and, and we ended up with 
sort of siloed deployments or you know the community not being able to collaborate well there and and that that to me is a different it's a different but similar tragedy to the commons um and and part of the problem to me and we talked about this with mark collier a little bit um and i've written some blog some some articles about this is that uh is it the focus on the license and making sure every piece of the software was free and open um, rather than on the utility of the software first and saying, you know, there's some things that people are going to pay for that. If you go into production with software, you should be paying money for it. Um, the, that's sort of the Patreon, Patreon model, right? And the tide lift is, you know, I, you know, you have to be funding to sustain these projects. Um, and there's a virtuous cycle of when you pay money for something and, and a company is supporting it, they're actually working to reduce their costs also and then create, you know, less burden for everybody for each each customer because right as Rackin tries to scale our business we need to spend less time doing the same work for each customer which is beneficial to the customers right they learn from our experience we learn from their experience um for us yeah we've had to put in gates uh to keep those production things from just being you know free they, they're downloadable and available but they're they're not um they're not free for unlimited use because when people cross that threshold into production use, they they you know they need to start paying so that we can sustain the software for their production data center. Um, and I, I wish people would just sit down and do that themselves, but that that hasn't been the way the market works. I'd love to hear people give us feedback about why it should or shouldn't, or how you could make it do that um, without putting a, a wall in place. So far, we found we need the walls. Yeah, well, we, you know, if you're listening to this and you have ideas, let us know. And of course, we've had uh, multiple open source people on, I'm sure. Uh, you know, if if you have thoughts on this, call us, reach out to us so we can have more people. Because I think this discussion isn't happening enough. And, uh, and we're certainly a great location to have the discussion. And of course, it drives more listeners to our podcast. We never complain about that. <laughs> we're, we're, we, we're, we're, I think, one of the few people who want to have a discussion about it. Um, we're not trying to put out, I don't think these are easy questions or easy, easy, there's, oh, no, no. there's no set answers. And so, you know, this is where if, if you know, you have a strong opinion, especially you've been involved in a project, we're trying to get some more of the open source people out there putting out strong opinions. Um, Michael DeHaan was one of, came on our show. Um, mm -hmm. We did a great podcast with him about both his new stuff and uh, licensing. Um, and so we, we definitely want to have this conversation, want to hear people's opinion and figure out the give and take. Um, because I think both of these articles that sort of prompted this, this discussion point to the fact that we haven't created a sustainable model for digital creators uh, and a lot of people in the digital economies. Uh, and we have to do that. That's not optional. So I'm gonna I'm gonna close this because I you know I, I think this is a good discussion and I will put the links to the article um, on our podcast and on our website and hopefully uh, folks have been to latestshiny.com uh, with our letters and numbers um, and I want to do a quick shout out to the guys at CallSoft who helped me clean it up so it looks a lot better. And uh, it's helpful to have developers that uh, volunteer time. And even though as I guess this is an open source podcast since people are helping us, Rob. <laughs> but uh, again, we're, we're not, uh, you know, we don't charge or anything like that. It's commercial free, which I think people like. And so, you know, we're choosing to keep it that way. Um, and also that we are closing in on our 100th podcast. 
which looks like it may happen in um, maybe April timeframe or something. So uh, to our, if you're a listener and, you know, we have a Twitter account and stuff, if you have a thought for the 100th uh, podcast guest, let us know. I know Rob has some ideas as well, but we always like to hear from uh, our listeners. And uh, Rob, any, any other things before we uh, we close off this? And, and this will be one of those quick, we recorded it and next day it'll be out. Which, which is uh, always useful to do. Any other uh, comments or thoughts for the listeners? Uh, yeah, if you, if you like this, please do let us know and send us articles to discuss. The, these are fun and easy for us, and so um, we're happy to do more. And you can also join. It's not always me asking uh, these questions. <laughs> uh, you on the show. Call us. Text us. But, but, us. I will, but I will. And I will say, if you were waiting for a very, very detailed uh, plug into how applications are deployed with Kubernetes of major tech. I just cleaned one up and got it set to go. It'll be out in a few weeks. And and I apologize if the blog is a bit off because even I was totally lost through it. I did my best, but we have some hardcore uh, technical stuff coming. And so we like that. And so if you want to do that, reach out to us. Deep, deep, deep. Deep is, is an understatement. Well, thanks again, <laughs> Rob. And uh, we will uh, talk again soon. Thanks, Steve.